All right, at this point in time, I want to welcome everybody to the ACB 2022 Banquet in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you all so much for a wonderful week. It's been absolutely fantastic to get to see so many of us again for the first time in three years. And at this point in time, I'd like to introduce our MC for the evening, David Trott, ACB Treasurer from Talladega, Alabama. Good evening, everybody. Uh, never give me a mic and not a podium because I'm going to move around. Um, I am not patchy, and I hope you can tell that. But Pat and I always have this banner back and forth, right? So right before the banquet, he texts Rhonda. And he said, Rhonda, don't let David take away my 17 years of service at the banquet and take claim for himself. But I carried him on my back for 17 years, and I'll keep carrying him. I love him. <laughs> and we miss you tonight, Pat. I know you're listening. Okay, I'm going to introduce the head table. Um, and at that point, uh, go ahead and eat, and we'll start our program about 745 with our awards. So... Right down here on, on the, your right side at the end of the head table is Ray Campbell and his wife, Karen. Ray is our second vice president. Then we have our wonderful secretary, Ms. Denise Colley. Our beautiful first lady from ACB, Ms. Leslie Spoon. And her husband and auction assistant, Dan Spoon, sometimes known as President Spoon. Okay, I'm going to go now. No, I'm not. I'm going to keep going. Uh, I would be next. My, my better half and the one that keeps me in line, Rhonda. A lady that's gone, grown so special to me over the years, our convention coordinator, Janet Dickelman. And the hardest working first vice president I've ever met, Deb Cook-Lewis. And our banquet sponsor tonight is Meta, so y'all be sure to look at the top of your plates. We have a, a nice gift for you. It is a covered ice cube tray, but can be used for many things. It's great. And from Meta tonight, Krista. Witanuski. Yeah. That's, the, that's the best no Alabama boys ever done. And down last but not least is our own Clark Rackful. You know, he is a director of advocacy. Okay, y'all, uh, let's let's take a let's take a moment of silence for uh, what are we calling this? Let's take a moment of silence for reflection, please. Thank you and enjoy your dinner. We'll be back soon.
Ryan, could you come to the head table, please? By the way, since you're starting your lunch or, or your dinner, and I didn't do this this morning deliberately, I would have liked to announce your MMS winners today. This will be the last winners of the week. And then we will have um, the winners announced in early September for the two grand prizes, the $300 and the $200. But our two $25 Amazon gift card winners today is our own Marjorie Beeman. And from Hawaii, I'm not even going to do that last name. Everybody knows Terry Lynn. Okay, folks, I, I told you what Alan had left a while ago. And Alan is always selling winning tickets, right? But last year, our CFO, Nancy Becker, sold the winning ticket. And she has five tickets left. So... Y'all help us sell this out and take a chance that lightning will strike twice and Nancy will sell the winning ticket. So if you'd like to buy one of the five remaining Braille form raffle tickets, please raise your hand and Nancy will find you. Thank you. You know, most people tell me to shut up and I had a guy just come by and tell me to talk in the mic again for him. So. <laughs> that sounds a lot better though. Right? Okay, it does. Yes. Thanks. Hey, we're out. Okay, thank you, everybody. The Braille Forum Raffle has officially sold out. By the way, if you win the Braille Forum Raffle, you can move to Alabama and buy you a nice trailer. And park it in mine and run this park, please. We got to stay on schedule for Judy. Yeah. All right, welcome back, folks. We're ready to get parked ready to get started with, with what I consider a great banquet. Our speaker tonight is going to be wonderful. You'll hear about her from a few folks in a few minutes. But right now I'm asking, uh, let's see, could we have Zelda and Kasha Wales up here, please? Cache, sorry. <laughs> oh, Cache's gonna be on Zoom and I need Zelda Gephardt. This is the Board of Publications Awards, and uh, we have a lot of talented people, so I'm sure a lot of people were successful, uh, and we're going to hear about a couple of those tonight. Did you say Cache is on Zoom? Cache. Oh, she's here. Okay. Okay. Is Cache coming up? Do you need some assistance? Do you see her? Okay, I'm fixing to turn this over to these ladies, but I've got to get them each a microphone here. There, so still dance, and it's hot. Here you go, Cache. Good evening. I'm Zelda Gebhardt, and it is my privilege as a director on the Board of Publications to present the Ned E. Freeman Award. And first, I want to tell you a little bit about the award. The award was first initiated in 1970 
and it's given for outstanding writing and an article must have been written within the last year from April 2021 and March of 2022. All articles published in the ACB Braille Forum are considered and also articles may be submitted by the editor or the president of the affiliates and any, any article that has been published in their um, newsletter um, may be nominated. For the 2022 Ned E. Freeman Award, I'm very pleased to announce that the winner this year is Anthony Corona. Anthony, could you make your way up front? And while you're doing so, I wanna tell everyone a little bit about Anthony's story. Anthony wrote his article for the special edition of the White Cane Bulletin, the official uh, newsletter of the Florida Council of the Blind. Hi, Guy. All right. And um, the subject of his article was very poignant, and it was about, it was entitled, Okay, 9-11, 20 years. So many of you may have read that, and if you haven't, it was published in the White Cane Bulletin, um, and it was published in their special edition to remember that tragic day. And Anthony did such a nice job of of writing it. He was there that day, he witnessed it. And through his words, I felt like reading the article, I was there. And so Anthony, congratulations. We really appreciate your contributions. Before I turn the mic over to him, I want you to all know that he is going to be getting a plaque and Sharon Loving will read the plaque. And he's also going to get a check for a hundred dollars. Okay. And the plaque reads, the Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award presented to Anthony Corona for his article, 9-11, 20 years, which illustrates the good that can come from such life-altering, 
changing and foundation rocking moments. Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much. Um, that, that piece really meant a lot to me. Um, as Zelda said, I was on the Staten Island Ferry on my way to work when the first plane hit. And I had no idea the plane hit because I was bopping some music with um, those old wired earbuds. And um, all of a sudden, everybody started running to the front. And by the time I got to the front, seeing the smoke and then seeing the second plane so, you know, something like that sticks with you. I can still smell the metal and the blood. And I wanted to bring everyone there, but also end the article with something of hope. I want to thank FCB and Sally Benjamin from the White King Bulletin. I mean, everybody put your hands together for Sally. She's awesome. Our president, Forever Young. And um, I just want to say one more thing. I inspire everybody out there with an idea or a story. Even if you're not a writer, reach out to the BOP and get your story out there. We all have a story and we all need to put it out through the BOP. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anthony. Thank you. Good evening. This I am Cache Wells as a director with the Board of Publications, and it is my responsibility on tonight to present the Vernon C. Henley Award, which was first uh, awarded in 1989. Uh, it is the media award that is presented to any organization, company, individual, whether blind or sighted who has exemplified positive difference in the press, whether it's by radio, television, magazines, any digital form. And so tonight I have the pleasure, it is my pleasure to present on behalf of the BOP, the 2022 Vernon C. Henley Award to Cheryl McNeil Fisher and Kathleen P. King for their exemplary work with Writing Works Wonders. They have exemplified so much to promote, to share, and to provide understanding for blind readers and blind writers in this community. And they have, uh, they have allowed us to be able to come together. Uh, they have allowed the environment for others who would never have an opportunity to meet, to share, to learn from one another, and to be able to build a community of writers and authors. And we want to commend them for their work with Writing Works Wonders. And again, thank you to Cheryl McNeil Fisher and Kathleen P. King. You are awarded the 2022 Vernon C. Henley Media Award. And Miss Sharon is going to read their plaque. The plaque reads, Vernon Henley Media Award, presented to Cheryl McNeil Fisher and Kathleen King in recognition of Writing Works Wonders, 
which promotes sharing between diverse groups of readers and writers to develop an understanding of the writing process and the importance of different perspectives. Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Okay, that's, now we're on top. Okay, back to you. All right, the, the awards are just beginning. You know, we have a lot of people that do a lot of great work in ACB and uh, it's always great to have this opportunity to recognize them. Next is a presentation of the ACB awards committees. And the co-chair, Connie Sims, cannot be with us tonight, but we will have Ms. Carrie Muth and Janet Dickelman and Nancy Becker is what's in my notes. No, not Nancy. And we need Carrie Muth up here. She is. I am. Oh, oh, all right. Hi, everybody. Carrie, I'll let you start then. Okay. Is that better? You know what? Now my phone's not going to talk to me. Uh -oh. <laughs> we'll have experience technical difficulties. So I want to say it's been my true honor to serve on the awards committee, and I've had a, a, a great time working with Connie Sims and Janet Dickelman and Sharon Lovering and our whole team. And I'll give their list in a few minutes because I will let Janet go ahead and um, read the first thing and try to get my technical difficulties fixed. So Janet, you wanna go ahead and read about our first award we're presenting? Yes, you want me to start with the volunteer award, I believe, is that correct? That is correct. All the right, okay. Yeah. Uh, the Marjorie G. Beeman Volunteer Recognition Award honors my technology do honors the individuals who have given tirelessly of their efforts, resources, expertise, or time towards improving the quality of life in the blindness community. The achievements, accomplishments, or service on which the dominations are based must reflect ACB's vision and mission. All right. Back to me. Unfortunately, technology does work sometimes. <laughs> Are you do you want me to read the? Yeah, if you oh, can go ahead and read them, that would be easier. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. For this award recipient, we definitely don't see all the work behind the scenes that is done by this person. Um, unfortunately, you'll probably know right away who I'm talking about for this award but that can't be helped. And I'm not going to mention the name until I get to the end. And so please hold your applause. All right, uh, this person begins in August by doing a lot of online research, speaking with the local host committee and works closely with the Visitors Bureau uh, in our convention city. She then reaches out to numerous venues to talk with them about ACB. Each October, she visits these venues, asking copious questions and taking detailed notes. And 
no applause and pointing out to the potential venues how they can make a tour as accessible as possible to our convention attendees. She also works with bus companies to secure transportation. During the convention fall board meeting, she visits all of these tour sites to make ensure that they, and gives them hints and information on how to be accessible for our group. During the convention, she ensures that all runs smoothly, leading most of the tours herself and obtaining volunteers for the tours that she can't lead. She can't attend. Um, anyone who has taken a tour with ACB since 2016 should know how dedicated she is and how hard she works to make our tours so successful. She spends countless hours volunteering. Uh, she definitely exemplifies the spirit of the Marjorie G. Beeman Award. I didn't know this was gonna be so hard. Uh, we are honored to present this award to Rhonda Trott. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so Rhonda didn't have to travel very far to get up here. <laughs> no, she didn't. Um, would you like Rhonda to say a few words, or would you like, um, yeah, Sharon? Um, would you like me to read the plaque, or do you uh, do you have it handy? Yeah, Sharon has the plaque to read. Okay. Sharon, I'm here. The Marjorie G. Beeman Volunteer Award presented to Rhonda Trott in recognition of her outstanding service as the tour coordinator for ACB National Conventions, Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Um, Come here and take this mic and say a few words. Um, oh. I'm not a very good speaker. <laughs> Thank you so much. You don't know what this means to me, but I want you all to know that I do this for love, for the, the love of you, and all I want you to do is have a, as much time and happiness on the tours as I do planning them, and I love ACB from the bottom of my I, I got to admit, it's been a blast. This is my first ever in-person convention. And just every time I went on a tour, it was awesome because I would be with different people and everybody was so helpful and Rhonda just led the way. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I got to say, um, you know, it was really hard work. This was my first time on the awards committee. And when I was crazy enough to tell Dan, hey, what else can I work on? You know, he goes this and I said, oh, I think that's crazy, but okay. <laughs> Um, but it was a great team to work with. And when we got nominations, it was a really tough decision to decide, um, you know, who would get which award. So we'll go ahead and let Janet read the next award. We're going to um, do the 
James R. Olson Distinguished Service Award. All right. Uh, the James R. Olson Ser Distinguished Service Award is, is periodically given to individuals who have made important contributions which have advanced opportunities for the blind community. This award was originally named the Distinguished Service Award. It was renamed for James R. Olson um, following his passing in 2005. The winner of the award is a long time, oh, you want me, to, I'll go ahead and do his, all right. The winner of the award is a longtime member of ACB. He has been involved with assistive technology for many years. He subscribes to countless email discussion lists and other technology resources. He, provi he provides his followers with valuable information that help us sustain our independence and employability. It is obvious that this person never takes a break from learning what's well, from learning what's new and informing the rest of us about product upgrades, innovations, trainings, job openings, extraordinary cost savings, and all of the rest. There is no one else in the blindness arena who performs such a useful and comprehensive service. It is our honor to present the James R. Olson Distinguished Service Award to David Goldfield. And Sharon will read the plaque and then we have David with us via Zoom. He is on Zoom, correct? Yes. Yeah. Connie did have the privilege of telling him prior in a couple weeks ago, and she called me and she was almost in tears because he, he was just so excited. So um, I'm, I'm glad we get to hear from him in a second. Here's Sharon to read the plaque. Okay. The James R. Olson Distinguished Service Award presented to David Goldfield in recognition of the assistive technology information provided to blind individuals through his Tech VI announce list. Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Thank you, and we have him on Zoom. I am unmuted. Um, thank you. I am just so surprised and pleased and honored that uh, the awards committee thought that the work that I do was e even somewhat deserving of this award. So I would really like to um, just first thank the awards committee for even considering me for this award, for uh, nominating me and for choosing me as a recipient of this award. Thank you so much. And thank you to the American Council of the Blind. And thank you to my supporters uh, and supporting me on the Tech VI list. Uh, it's a real honor. I'm really sorry that I couldn't be with you in person, but uh, maybe once COVID calms down and uh, more people are healthy, uh, I'd like to be there in person. So thank you so much 
for uh, this award. Uh, enjoy your last night at the convention. Have a safe trip home. God bless you. Thank you again. So, so now we're going to talk about membership growth awards and, you know, we, we grow and it, it amazed me when I saw these figures, um, just how much growth was able to be done during COVID. And so some of our affiliates work really hard to keep growing their affiliate. So Janet, you want to go ahead? With All right. The, the affiliate growth awards are based on the greatest increase in membership as determined by the 2021-2022 membership report. One award is given for the greatest percentage of growth and another is presented to the affiliate with the largest number of new members. Would you like me to go on? And I will do the affiliate growth award, uh, largest percentage at the rate of 469.56% goes to DC Council of the Blind. And um, we're going to hear in a moment via Zoom from um, accepting the award will be the newest president, Reverend Ray Razor. Yay. And we'll let, uh, we'll let Sharon so. go ahead and read the award. The Affiliate Growth Award presented to DC Council of the Blind in recognition of the largest percentage of membership increase in 2022. Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Okay. And was Reverend Ray Racer on Zoom or in person? Zoom. Okay, yep. if Reverend Ray Racer is in Zoom, can you raise your hand? Oh, you need to unmute yourself, Reverend Ray Racer. Okay. Are you can you can you hear me? Yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. God, God bless you all. Thank you very much. It's been such a privilege to work with uh with, with the chapter and to be a new president uh in uh, Washington, DC. And uh, the leaders that came before me, like uh Dr. Orr Miller, is just uh, wonderful. And uh and, and then in DC, you know, we the people here that take y'all tax money and do what we want with it and all. And, and, and when everything comes through D.C., it really does. And we want to be relevant. My whole thing is we want to be relevant. I mean, we here in the nation capital, so we should be a strong affiliate. And believe me, with the money that goes through here, uh, we should have the kind of money uh, that reflects uh, the rich people in D.C. So we look forward to making a difference and uh, and we rebranding ourselves, and I think people like Sarah Presley and my treasurer, I mean my secretary Jeanette Gerard, and she can bring that award home. So just stick it in her hand, and she'll bring it home. And God bless everyone. And we will see you in Chicago next year. God bless and be blessed. Yay. 
For those on Zoom not hearing, there's been lots of uh, applause in the audience in person. <laughs> so now we have the membership growth with the most number of members. All right. And I have to say, Reverend Ray, when I was, I, I was helping Reverend Ray with his registration and it was hard for me not, I didn't know if he knew about this or not. So I didn't say anything and I'm thinking, oh yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the Affiliate Growth Award with the largest number of new members uh, with 125 new members, 125 goes to the Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. And while we're reading the plaque, artists, if you'd like to come up and say a word or two. And we'll let Sharon read that. The Affiliate Growth Award presented to Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America in recognition of the largest number of new members in 2022. Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. And Carrie, would you like me to, while Artis is making her way up here, would you like to, or would you like me to read the names of the award committee members? Do you have them? or would I, you like I actually found it. Yay me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so Connie Sims from South Dakota and I, Carrie me from Oregon. We are the co-chairs and our board liaison was um, Janet Dickelman. And Sharon Levering is our staff liaison. Um, yes. And then our committee members were Peter Alchul from Missouri, Ann Brash from Illinois, and she is here. And Natalie Couch from Kentucky is also here. Yay. Jean Mann from New York. And Amanda Selm from Kentucky. So it was a... And, you know, it was really great um, when we first started, we started, we put together um, kind of a newer committee, but we had a couple of the, the veterans in the, from the awards committee gave a lot of great advice and information to us newbies <laughs> on the team. So I am so thankful for everybody's input. And I believe Ann Brash was the one that actually worked up the wording for the awards also. So that was a great help. Oh, it was Jean Mann. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> All right, is Art, did Artis make her way up here? Yes, I am. <laughs> I wanna thank you for this award. Uh, Randall Shepherd Vendors of America has been working really hard the last couple of years to really help vendors because I don't know how many of you know, but the vendors have been really affected uh, since uh, COVID-19 and so many vendors are having little if no um, income. And so we've tried to provide monthly calls to share important information and help them to get better rebates, et cetera. So thank you so much for this award. Scott will be excited. Great job, yay. So I, so I would like to say you know, it's kind of hard to keep surprises in ACB, right? Um, I really think it is, and I really hope we were successful. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and let Nancy Becker uh, read something for me. I sure can. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, you guys, I am pinch hitting tonight. So 
We have one last award to present. Our founding father, Derwood K. McDaniel, would be very proud that this person is honored to receive the award named for him for their outstanding service and commitment. This volunteer gives many hours to ACB year around. We all benefit from their energy, enthusiasm, kindness, consistent good humor, dedication to detail, and selflessness. She grew up from standard conventions to virtual conventions to hybrid conventions. Oh. It's our honor to present this to Janet Dickelman. <laughs> Sharon, read the plaque. The Durward K. McDaniel Ambassador Award, presented to Janet Dickelman in recognition of her tireless commitment to ACB as the National Convention Coordinator, Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Okay. So, so Janet, uh, did you have a clue? Did you have any clue, Janet? Not one. Yay! Not absolutely one clue. No clue. And I'm, I, I thought, normally I would be crying hysterically, but I am laughing so hard because they pulled this off over me. I am shocked. I am honored and privileged and humbled, hum, humbled, yeah, and speechless. I love what I do and I hope it shows. And this award really means the world to me. Thank you so much. Okay, now I'm crying. Nancy came up here and gave me a Kleenex, so. Oh my God. So, okay, Dan says we have to do a hip hip. Hip hip. Hip hip. Yay, thank you everybody and thank you for letting me serve as the co-chair to the awards committee. All right. Wow. Great job, guys. Full of surprises tonight. We're fixing to move on to a part of the program and uh, it's going to be kind of weird, you know, as MC, I would normally introduce the featured speaker. Uh, Unfortunately, she is so good that they knew that a boy from Alabama couldn't read all that bio she's got. But I am really excited to hear her tonight. And so to introduce our speaker is our president, Dan Spoon. Thank you, David. And tonight we're going to have a conversation with Judy Human. And part of the conversation will be myself as the moderator and then we'll also have Clark Rackfall, our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and Janet Dickelman, our Convention Coordinator, who will read some questions that she received from our membership over the last two weeks. So 
Let's learn a little bit about more about Judy Human. Judy Human has been an amazing advocate for the disabled community since the early 1970s. She was truly instrumental okay. in developing oh, right. the independent living movement for the disabled community. And in 1973, she was truly the driver in the creation of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. And this is the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 before it was amended, which we talk about now. But Judy's accomplishments do not end there. She served in Bill Clinton's administration in the highest office of special, edu special education and rehabilitation services in the Department of Education. And then she continued on during the Barack Obama administration and served as the US disability rights official under the Department of State, the State Department. In 1920, she wrote her book, her memoir, Being Human. Not, what did I say? 1920, you gotta watch me. In 2020, 2020, sorry, Judy. In 2020, Judy wrote her, her acclaimed autobiography on being human, where she really described with no holes barred what it was like to be a disability advocate for the last 50 years. Judy is truly known internationally for her work in disability rights and is truly known as the mother of disability rights advocacy in the United States. So let's welcome Judy Human. Judy, can you hear us this evening? I can hear you very well. I'm glad I'm not that old yet. I'd be like, whoa, more than 100. <laughs> 1920 would have got you up there a few years. When yeah, 102 <laughs> years. That'd be pretty great. So, Although, you know, um, some of you may know the name Ed Roberts, and Ed passed away in like 1995, but his mother, Zona Roberts, is 102 years old. Wow, that's amazing. So, Judy... Tell us a little bit about what got you started in the disability rights movement back in the 1970s. What was really the impetus for you to take this on as a career? I had polio. You know, just like you're blind and low vision. Um, I don't think, you know, one is born as an advocate per se, but I think, you know, ACB and many other disability rights organizations really have been formed because of the discrimination that we have experienced and um, our desire to work on ending discrimination. And also, I think what's very important about organizations like the American Council of the Blind and others is the fact that we are role models for people who have disabilities. Some of them are similar to ours and in many cases not. Um, Derwood was someone that I worked with through um, organizations when I was living in DC. Eunice Fiorito, some of you may also remember, but Eunice came from Chicago to New York and she headed up uh, Mayor Lindsay's office on disability. 
when I was the president of Disabled in Action in New York City. And Eunice and I did a lot of work together in New York. And when you were mentioning the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, um, Section 504 was a part of that. And Disabled in Action and Eunice as the uh, commissioner of the Office on Disability and many other groups were involved with demonstrating, writing letters, holding meetings to be able to ultimately get Nixon to sign the law. And then Eunice later went on to become the chairperson of the um, American Association, no, the American Council of Citizens with Disabilities. And uh, so she always was a very um, strong role, mo- role model for me. And um, I loved working with her. I knew her worked with her more than with Derwood just because we also spent time together in New York and she became friends with my family. But um, being an advocate was really partly my mom. My mom was a very strong advocate. She learned very early on that the discrimination that I was experiencing wasn't going to end by itself and that she and my father really needed to fight for what they wanted me to have, which was to be able to go to school and be a part of the community and go to college and get a job. So for me, I I love doing advocacy because it enables me to work with so many other people and get our ideas together, create agendas and really fight for change. And I think what, you know, those of you in the room and on Zoom um, who are listening, all have your own stories to tell. And what I think is very important about our movement as it's getting bigger and giving awards to chapters that are bringing in so many new members is that we have to remember that um, we are 60 million people in the United States, but our voices are not heard like the 60 million people we represent. And partly that's because too many people are still ashamed of having a disability. They don't know other disabled people. They're by themselves. They're in situations where they're not necessarily getting the training and support that they need so they can feel empowered as individual people. So for me, you know, advocacy is motivating for me, but it's also motivating for me because it motivates so many other people whose lives get turned around. So Judy, what was that aha moment for you as you began your career that you said, oh my gosh, I truly can make a difference. And that kind of drove you towards the advocacy path. What, do, you, do you have a recollection of what that first aha moment, moment was for you that, oh wow, this, this, I can do this, I can make a difference? You know, I've, um, as I was saying, I've always thought, about we can make a difference. It's not that I don't feel I can make a difference because I do, but I really have found the we can make a difference is um, very empowering. And for me, being able to help bring the we together, I suppose is partly what I feel is like an aha moment. But I suppose um, the real or a moment that stands out for me is when I applied to be a teacher in New York City. 
And I was denied my teaching license because officially in writing before 504 uh, came about, I was denied my license because of paralysis of both lower extremities, sequelae of poliomyelitis. And my, um, you know, when it happened, when I received that letter, um, I wasn't surprised because I knew that there were no other people who had been hired in the entire New York City Board of Education system who used a wheelchair. I found out later there were some people who had gotten their teaching licenses and might have gotten disabilities like multiple sclerosis and stayed on as teachers, but I didn't know any of them at that point. There were never many. So when I got that letter um, denying me my license, um, it really required me to make a decision regarding whether or not I was just going to accept that denial and move on to something else or whether I was really going to do something to try to address what I did consider discrimination. And there were a number of things that happened. And I talk about how the stars were aligned in that period of my life, where there was an article in the New York Times, an editorial in the New York Times, in the, in the uh, New York Post, in the Daily News. And I was asked to be on the Today Show and many, many other things that happened and was able to get some uh, three really good attorneys. We sued and went to court and Constance Baker Motley, who was the first African-American woman to serve on a federal court, was our judge. And she basically told the Board of Ed that she encouraged them to reconsider their decision, which they did. And um, then I became a teacher for three years. But that work and then the 50 four demonstrations that started in 1973 uh, with, as I was saying, you know, Disabled in Action and many other organizations, all of that together really um, made me feel that we were becoming more empowered and that our collective voices really could make a difference. I think one of the other important things for me about why it's important to work together is I don't know everything about everything. I know some things really well, and I know a little bit about many things, but I really like meeting people who know more than I do in areas that I don't know or don't know well, um, because that really allows us to show our knowledge and expertise and it allows us to bring our heads together and really look at how to address problems. I think one of the most important things for me around making the decision to move ahead with the litigation uh, when I was denied my job as a teacher was the fact that I really decided I didn't want to be living my life saying I faced a problem that I didn't try to resolve. And I think little and larger challenges like that, you know, they don't always get resolved quickly. And as we know, many of them don't get resolved as we want for many decades. But I think continuing to look at what our ultimate objective is and really fighting hard for what we believe in, even if it's incremental change, is uh, what this is all about. 
Well, thank you, Judy. And now I'm going to ask Clark Rockfall, our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, who's kind of pinch hitting for Eric Bridges tonight, if he has a question for you. So, Clark. Thank you, Dan. And just following from our, our resolutions uh, meetings today, a uh, point of clarification clarification, please, if the chair doesn't mind. Uh, one question or a series of questions? I think let's let's have you ask two questions and then we'll go to Janet from some questions for our members. And then right. I also let, I need to let you know, guys, I'm in DC. So right now it's 935. So I've got to get off at 10. We understand, Judy. Thank you so much. All right. And, and Judy, thank you so much for joining us here this evening. Uh, my name is Clark. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. And ACB throughout the COVID-19 pandemic has been uh, initiating and undertaking a campaign to improve the health and wellness of our members in the broader community of people who are blind and low vision, our Get Up and Get Moving campaign. Uh, Emblematic of this campaign, though, is the uh, everything related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So when, when the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, released information related to the pandemic, it was made accessible later. When local jurisdictions, grocery stores, pharmacies were rolling out COVID-19 vaccinations, the websites were made accessible to register later. And now ACB is working with the, the White House, the Department of Health and Human Services, Health and Human Services. There we go. It's been a long week for all of us, folks, but we're still here. <laughs> and National Institutes on Health to make at-home COVID tests more accessible. So my question is, with the Biden administration's focus on D, E, I, and A, diversity, equity, and inclusion. How can we ensure that the A stands for accessibility and not for afterthought? I like that a lot, actually. I mean, I think we have to not be quiet. And I think you certainly haven't been. I think it's really... The whole issue of accessibility um, in many areas that right now looking at the issue for blind and low vision people, clearly we know, you know very, very well that it is too often an afterthought. Um, it is, we all agree, there need to be more disabled individuals working across government in positions where these types of issues are being discussed and also to be in regular communication with the disability community, broadly speaking, so that we can be looking at issues of access in, in the broadest sense possible. You know, for people with intellectual disabilities, with memory issues, deafness and hard of hearing, blindness and low vision, physical disabilities, people whose first language is in English, on and on. And I think, you know, we're making changes, but clearly, what we saw in COVID, in addition to what you're discussing, is 230,000 disabled people who died as a result of COVID, living in nursing homes and segregated living environments, 
not getting the supports that they needed at home. As you're saying, not being able to take basic tests themselves to know whether or not they in fact um, have COVID or have been exposed to COVID. So I think we need to learn from what happened. We need to uh, get commitments from the Biden administration, from the governors, from the mayors, from all of those who are responsible for this to really get them to make a commitment that these issues will be addressed. And it's more than just saying it will be addressed. People who are uh, designing these instruments need to understand what does it mean to have a COVID test or other tests that are accessible? You know, what are we looking at um, in the materials that we're having to use? Um, and those are things that I certainly can't advise on, but many of you can. And I think it shouldn't just be a focus at the national level. I think it needs to go from the local on up to the national. I also think we need to look at what we learned from this, when there were barriers and what changes we were able to make and how to ensure that these mistakes are not made again. So um, I think having a focus on this is so critically important because it goes way beyond um, COVID. I was on a call earlier today with the person from, I think it's PG&E, a blind woman, um, where they're designing uh, markings that will be able to go on products so that someone who is blind will be able to identify what it is that they're um, using like shampoo and toothpaste and flour, whatever it may be. <laughs> so, I mean, um, having a, a person who's blind in this position is clearly making a difference in the company that she's working in. And as she said, I think very eloquently this morning um, at the meeting that I was at, um, if she had followed the traditional pathway of the jobs that people felt blind women and a Muslim blind woman at that would be able to pursue, she never would have had the jobs that she's had. So again, I think when we look at groups like ACB, one of the important parts about your responsibilities, all of our responsibilities, is to be making sure that people are who are low vision or blind from when they're younger, that they're studying in the right fields, that they are going to be able to continue to move up the chain in work, and that as people are getting older and acquiring disabilities, many of these people have a lot of skills from work that they were doing before, how to keep them in the workforce, how to keep people from feeling like they can no longer participate and use the skills that people have to address issues like this and so many others. Thank you. And my, my final question, and I'll have to make it good here. Uh, during the Obama administration, uh, rulemaking was begun to provide accessibility standards for websites and the internet. Unfortunately, this was not completed by the end of the second term of the Obama administration and the, the rulemakings were uh, pulled back in 2017. Here in 2022 and in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
the online built environment or the virtual built environment has become just as important as the physical built environment for many people with disabilities, including people who are blind and low vision. Earlier this year, ACB and many of our affiliates joined a sign-on letter of over 180 disability and civil rights organizations urging the Department of Justice to promulgate enforceable regulations for the online built environment for accessibility. And we urge for the completion uh, of a timeline of the current presidential administration. Now we know that this is something that the Department of Justice is moving forward on, and also that many federal agencies are looking at incorporating in the updates to their Section 504 regulations. So my question is, how can we ensure that regulations for not only websites, but applications, mobile applications, and online services for students, employees, and everyone, whether it's government services, entertainment, e-commerce, are accessible? Are the current laws enough or is something else needed to ensure that accessibility in the virtual built environment matches that in the physical built environment? So let me just say, um, I believe that we are in a very tenuous period in our lives. And in my view, everything relates to voting. No exceptions, full stop, period. We have a Supreme Court now that clearly is not our friend. We have 400 judges that have been appointed during the last administration who will in many cases not be our friends and not be our friends in areas that you're discussing now. So people need to be registered to vote. We need to make sure that in states where voting is becoming more complicated, where the ultimate objective is not to have people voting, that we need to address that. We need to be very clear with people that are running for office that we wanna know the answer to this question. What are they going to do to ensure that it's not just that the regulations are right. I mean, the reality is we need them. I'm not arguing against that at all. We need sufficient staff and these agencies to deal with enforcement. People need to understand what their rights are, but we also need to be working with corporations and others and make sure that people are learning what they need to learn to do appropriate website development, et cetera. But at the end of the day, as you know very well, many of these issues are being challenged. We only need to look at what happened recently at LA County Community College, a very, very progressive racially integrated community where they were about to go to the Supreme Court on issues just around this. And if that would have gone to the court, and that's the second case this year, um, where people had to fight. One in the case of the um, LA Community School, uh, Community College, and the other was CVS. CVS last December 
was about to move forward in a very similar vein. So we need to move away from platitudes. We need to completely recognize that we need to vote and we need to recognize that I'm sorry, I don't know what your political affiliations are, but we can clearly see that the people who are being appointed to these um, judgeships are not friends to disabled people. They're not friends for the things that we're saying companies and others need to be responsible for. Let's put out good, strong new regulations, um, but really everyone needs to be registering people to vote. You need to be looking at what's going on, getting blind and low vision people to understand these issues. We need to be making sure that candidates that are running are not only asked questions, but that we put forth their answers. Um, Nonprofits cannot endorse a candidate, but nonprofits can in fact ask questions. They can take that information, they can put it out publicly and allow people to make their own decisions. Um, I wanna know what their positions are and they can't mumble jumble around it anymore. And for me, that's what's most important. There is nothing more important in my view that we lose no more seats in the House and Senate and that we get seats. And those of you who are in states where there are seats up where you have members that are supporting these kinds of positions, we need to support them. Uh, And where there are not, we need to support candidates who are willing to listen and come out and say something. Every candidate that ran for president in 2020 on the Democratic ticket had a policy on disability. You might not have liked the way it was all written, but every one of them had one. That is a big deal. And I'm not saying that all the Democrats are on our side either, because we've seen a number of areas where they have not been. But we need to be diligent and we need to be outspoken. Judy, we will now hear from Janet Dickelman with a question from our membership audience. All right. Hi. Hi, Judy. I can't see anybody. I'm really sorry. Oh, can you hear me now, Judy? I can hear you, but I can't. She she said she can't see anybody. So, Judy, this was our ploy. So, it's an equal operating field this evening. Okay. (laughs) No. I got it. No problem. No, no, it was no ploy, but we. we, You you get to hear me, apparently. You don't get to see me. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. All right. Very good. I'm going to ask you two, I've got two questions that I'm going to ask this evening, if time permits. The first one is from ACB, one of ACB's past presidents, Mitch Pomerantz, and from Pasadena, California. And of course, Mitch always has to have a disclaimer. So I first met Judy Human in the late 70s or early 80s and have crossed paths with her several times since. I have tremendous respect for her, although our politics diverges. I'm not sure why he had that. Um, We may, but I want you, we should have a discussion about this. Our (laughs) politics may diverge, but at the end of the day, who's selling you down the river? Right. As someone who has been involved um, in the disability rights movement for many years, do you believe that public attitudes towards persons with disabilities generally and persons who are blind, visually impaired specifically 
have improved for the better, especially when it comes to employment? And is, it, is the average hiring manager more likely than 40 years ago to hire someone who is blind, visually impaired? You know, I think it's very true that things have been getting better, but the speed is like a turtle. And um, certainly, I think it's completely fair to say that many hiring managers um, have not been given the training that they need to ensure that a blind or low vision person or person with various forms of disabilities can come in for an interview without the bias about what they think about the person and the type of disability they have. I think that's very much still the case. Um, and I think work that we're doing, the more blind and low vision people that are being hired um, in a broad array of jobs, the more we're demonstrating that we have skills to work in any area. Uh, so yes, things are getting better, but they're not where they need to be yet. And I'm very concerned about issues like AI, um, the kinds of approaches, methods that are being utilized for people to be applying for jobs and the bias um, in the um, technology that's being designed. And of course, issues around lack of accessibility of the technology clearly um, will make it more difficult. So I would say, yes, things are getting better. I wouldn't say that they are dramatically better. The data clearly doesn't show that. Um, what is better is that there are more disabled people who are getting better education um, and therefore are more qualified, um, but there's much more that needs to be done. And again, I think, you know, we, we need more staff in agencies that have responsibility for technical assistance, for monitoring and compliance, because you know there are many complaints that get filed, and obviously they're not all equally. Uh, you know, some of them are very valid, and others aren't. But um, everyone should be able to feel like someone is looking at these complaints and are uh, doing what needs to happen to try to address them. And there is just not enough staff in agencies like the Department of Justice or Education or housing. I mean, housing as an example, do you feel that a blind person going to rent an apartment is um, being given equal consideration to a sighted person? Um, depends on where you are, depends on the work that's been done in the community. Um, but I think when at least 23% of the um, complaints that are made at the federal level in HUD come from disabled people? No, the issue has not been resolved. And I think that's an indication it's similar in employment. The data just doesn't show we've made the progress that we want, want to make. And may I ask one final question? 
um, from Deborah Armstrong of Milpicas, California. And she asks, as you look back over your endeavors fighting for the rights of, what do you feel was your greatest success and what is your biggest disappointment? I guess in some way, my greatest disappointment is that we haven't made the progress that I think for us is so obvious that needs to be made, that should be made, that can be made. And greatest accomplishment is being able to talk with you know, people like you and to work with disabled people and allies in the United States and around the world who really do share a similar objective. And I think you know, for me in the disability community, one thing that's very important is that we are continually, continually looking at who we represent. Um, just looking in the blind and low vision community, we represent white people, black people, Latino people, um, indigenous populations, Asians, Asian people, people from the LGBTQ community, from different religious communities. We need to make sure that we are truly representing these different groups, that our leadership is coming from all these communities because the issues that many people are facing are different. There's a common area of discrimination, but in you know, new immigrants to the United States where uh, people are not aware of laws like we know about, don't know how to utilize them, where discrimination is occurring, not just on the base of their disability, but on the basis of race, religion, et cetera. These are issues that we all need to be dealing with and we need to be working collaboratively together so that we can be speaking in a way um, that is truly advancing the, the rights and the lives of all people. Thank you, Judy. And we've got one final question and then we want to present you with an award. So Judy, our final question this evening is in your wonderful award-winning book, Being Human, that was published in 2020. What, what was your favorite chapter that you wrote and why? I don't know that I have a favorite chapter, but I think there are certain aspects. So one thing that I like about the book is that um, I really wanted to be quite explicit about yes. what my experiences were. For the purpose of allowing other people to see those with and without disabilities, that telling our stories are very important. Many people talk about how they relate to uh, the book because they've had similar experiences. And this is people with various disabilities. For me, what I think people relate to is that I'm pretty frank. And I think it's so important that everyone in this room tonight, everyone on Zoom, uh, really think about how do you tell your story? And you don't tell everybody your whole story all the time. But what are some of the periods where you have felt most alone, most discriminated against based on your disability and other aspects of who you, who you are? What were you able to do in order to uh, really move forward? Allow people to acknowledge the fact that my experiences were not very unique. My experiences then and now are still very similar to everybody else's experiences or many disabled people's experiences. 
Um, one of my issues is maybe I have a bigger mouth than everybody. But many of you are writers and you have different ways of expressing things. People need to understand what the barriers are, what the solutions are. And that's what I think I feel proudest about is really being able to talk amongst ourselves, bring our stories forward. And I think it helps people you know, changing the media so that disability is a part of what's going on in the media, behind and in front of the camera. Um, all these things are so very important in really enabling us as individuals to feel proud of who we are and then really um, saying to the world that we should have the same, and we're demanding the same opportunities as everyone else, regardless of our disability. Well, thank you so much, Judy, for being with us this evening. And at this time, we would like to present you with an ACB President's Special Service Award. And Sharon Lovering, our Braille Form Editor, will read the award for you. The President's Award, presented to Judy Human for her work with disability civil rights, her tireless advocacy, and for expanding opportunity and equal access on behalf of all disabled people. Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Thank you very much, everybody. Let's all give Judy a big hip, 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 hip. Thank you Thank so you much, everybody. Judy, for being here. Register, 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 and vote. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good Thank evening, you, Judy. Everybody. Thanks so much. Get home safely. Bye. Okay. Lord, what a great speaker. What accomplishments. It's, it's so impressive when you can sit back and hear someone like this that has done so much. But before we go to our drawings, uh, but uh, Alan, if you would, Alan Peterson, if you go ahead and make your way to the front, please. We're going to have two drawings here in just a minute. But realistically, you know, I did take Pat Sheehan's place. And it's not often that we have someone who is leaving our board after 17 years of service that we get to keep them working. And Patrick has worked with every president this century from Paul Edwards and Chris Gray, Mitch Pomerantz, Kim Charlson, and Dan Spoon. One of his biggest accomplishments, in my opinion, is helping and heading up the group that gave each one of you, whether you were here in person or at home, the right to vote in ACB. So y'all help us stand up and thank Patrick for his service. Now, I don't know why they put their trust and faith in this woman, because she's not going to pull my name out of here. But Miss Janet Dickelman is fixing to do the Comcast drawing. If you went by and looked at the TV, uh, you had the opportunity to have your name put into a drawing. And Janet is fixing to make that draw drawing here. And then she will tell you how you will get your prize. You know, I can. All right. I have here. Well, I have two things. And there's one thing I need to confess to. I had a special 
door prize that I was supposed to offer tonight at the banquet. And it is $100 donated by Washington Council of the Blind. Unfortunately, I do not have any door prize names. I neglected to get any winners. So what we are going to do is we will draw for this door prize later on. And I will announce on all the lists who received it. And thank you so much, WCB, for your donation. And anyone else who has won door prizes, when we get back to normal somewhat next week, we will reach out to all of the winners and make sure that the door prizes get to them. And if there are any door prizes that have not been given out, we will go ahead and draw names um, for the remaining door prizes. All right, I have here, and I'm gonna give this bag to David and Nancy and they can do the actual drawing, but you can hear my bag here. And this is for, for those of you who have been in person yesterday and today, Comcast was here, of course, and you heard Tom's uh, keynote speech yesterday, and they have also been demonstrating the X-Class 50-inch smart TV. And everyone who went to see this demonstration's name has been put into a drawing. And the winner is going to be drawn in a moment. And what I've been told is you, we will reach out, Comcast will reach out to you and they will order the TV in your name through Walmart and it will be delivered directly to you. So I'm going to go ahead because I need somebody who can read a name. So David, I'll let you, you can take this. Is Nancy up there with you? Yeah. All right. One of you can draw for this winning TV. I guess I'll draw since I'm not in here. I'm busy stirring my cauldron, Janet. Oh. <laughs> right, hold, hold this. All and right. I'm going to see if I can, I think I can reach the winner here. He's looking, he's looking. Jan Miller. J-E-A-N, capital A-N-N Miller. Oh, Jean Ann Miller. Jean Ann, we'll reach out to you next week about the TV. Thank you. Okay, you want Congratulations. Keep, you want to keep the winning name or do yeah. you want to? Okay, I do. That'll be the way. Or I'll get, I'll, yeah. Okay. And now I'm going to give the mic back to David. All right. The moment you've all been waiting for. Now, let me explain to you how this works, because we we actually over the years did a lot of feedback. So we won't read you the ticket until we pulled all three. The first ticket pull, because everybody said they wanted everybody to have a chance, will be for the five thousand dollars. The second one will be for the thousand dollars and the third one will be for five hundred. But now when we read them to you, we're going to read them in reverse. The 500 will be first, the 1,000 will be second, and the 5,000 will be the third one we read. Um, you know, a lot of people has put a lot of time and effort into this. Uh, Dan Dillon and myself used to have races every year to see who could win. I finally put him, put him out to pasture because I beat him so many years now it ain't even funny. But that's not, that's not his fault, folks. Uh, COVID caused it, you know, everybody was able to, 
to buy in that didn't have the opportunities before. So, um, but we've had two people over the history of this raffle who have sold just boo koodles of tickets. Um, the leader for many, many years, and, and we need to remember her well because she did a lot for ACB, was Miss Billie Jean Keith. She was, she was the first, she sold the first ticket that we ever raffled when we had the raffle. And the guy who sold more than anybody whose goal for next year is, by the way, is 175, just so he knows now, uh, is Alan Peterson. Alan has sold more than tickets than anybody. So now, if you don't win tonight, though, you get to blame Alan because Alan's going to draw all three tickets. And uh, we appreciate the, the work from our staff and our Minneapolis office. As always, they were there to help us get through this program and uh, make it happen. And again, this year, we sold out of tickets. Thank you all so much for your contributions to ACB. Okay, Alan. I'm going to let you come over here with, with Ms. Nancy Becker. Okay. And y'all keep okay. this, keep this going the QT. Now, the first one you pull will be for $5,000. Yeah, yeah, very good. Maybe pull out my marker. That I just no, not the marker. Rhonda Trot's got a ticket in there. You can pull that one. We're stirring the pot. Uh oh, you're throwing them in the flow. I got a couple on the floor. <laughs> I got a couple on the floor. Okay. 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 He's digging now for the one thousand dollar ticket. One thousand. Uh huh. Nothing like stirring the pot. <laughs> okay, and last but not least, we're going to draw for the five hundred dollar ticket. Lord have mercy. I can't take this woman anywhere. How you work in the office? You just fling it all over and it's done. Uh -uh. Okay, and last is the $500 ticket. Now, Alan pulled them. Nancy gets to read them. Do your $500 first. Marie Brenes. And that was sold by Nancy Fila. All right. The 1,000? Kenneth Simeon Jr. Mind you, it's Jr. And Senior sold it. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, if you'll tune in next week, no, I'm kidding. Uh, the winner, the $5,000 winner tonight is? Golden Triangle. Golden Triangle. I'm assuming that's a... Michael Zakin's name is on it, but it's Golden Triangle, so I'm going to guess it's a, a group. Oh, okay. 
It's one of the blind chapters in Pittsburgh. Great. So again, we've had an affiliate win. And Julie Fisher sold that one. That's our new HR person. Uh, does a great job for us. Y'all, as, as, as we end the banquet tonight and end this convention, we want you to start making your plans for Schaumburg, Illinois. We've, we've been there. The officers and the board have actually been there. We were all in person when we were there. Uh, our, a lot of our convention committee was. It's going to be a great convention. I know that Ray and his group uh, out of Illinois uh, and your new board member, Rachel Schroeder, uh, these guys are going to go together with the convention committee and put on one heck of a convention. As I leave you tonight, I want to tell you once again, uh, I, I don't have any predictions like I did in 2006. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, in 2006, I was giving away the PACMATE for Freedom Scientific. Well, what happened was my PACMATE that I was using skipped two lines. So I introduced my friend, Jonathan Mosen, to give it away. Unfortunately, at the time, Jonathan worked for Humanware. Now, that, that's kind of funny. It got one on me, right? Well, two months later, Jonathan went to work at Freedom Scientific and everybody swore I knew it and I could predict the future. So, you know, it's, it's all good. I, I, I want to leave you with a little funny story about me when I was a teenage boy. And then I'm going to turn it back over to our president to close things out. Me and my buddy Mitch was going steady with a set of twins. And we were out one Saturday afternoon getting us some sugar, you know, and we got caught. So they sent us back to the dorm. And God, the worst mistake of my life happened. They said, David, why are you back at the dorm? And like a fool without thinking, I said, I got caught kissing Mitch. <laughs> so needless to say, it happens to all of us folks. I've had a good time doing this tonight. I hope you have as well. I miss my cohort from the last one, Brian Charleston. Wish you'd have been here with me. But unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond their control, Kim and Brian couldn't be here this year. They're here with us on Zoom. So... Mr. President, thank you again for letting me be Patrick's replacement. I only hope I did half as good a job as he would have. And I'm going to turn this over to you to close us out. Thank you, David. Everybody give David a big round of applause. What a fantastic job as our MC this evening. I hope everyone's enjoyed the banquet. I hope everyone has enjoyed us getting back in a hybrid and in-person environment this year in 2022. And for one final time, if everybody had a good time at this year's convention, that's have a big hip, hip. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you in Schaumburg next year. And safe travels to everybody going home. And on Zoom, we loved you. You all did an absolutely outstanding job as a virtual part of the convention. And all board members and board of directors members, please come to the head table for some photographs. Thank you all and safe travels.